Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two on the mesenteric vasculature focusing in arterial structures. And uh, we left off on median ocular ligament syndrome, which is an interesting syndrome. The median ocular ligament is a fibrous arch which unites the crur on either side of the diaphragm. And typically, it's located well above the patient's celiac axis. However, as you can see in this example, it can actually come low. And if you look at particularly the image on your right, it can come low enough that it clicks on top of the celiac axis and gives this kind of J-shaped configuration. So it's really giving a pinching, and this can result in patients having abdominal pain. For example, um, in about 15% of patients, this uh, menocular ligament comes lower. It's interesting that uh, most of the patients are not symptomatic. Others indeed are. Abdominal pain, even symptoms suggesting postprandial pain, symptoms even suggesting ischemia are possibilities. And it's usually worse on expiration. And in fact, you know, in the articles that was CT angiography was pre-CT angiography, I should say, classic angiography, they did expiratory views. And we wrote an article a couple of years ago about MALS, median ocular ligament syndrome, and one of the reviewers said that we do expiratory images, and the answer was we didn't. But I guess one thought is that if you suspect median ocular ligament syndrome, perhaps do that on a CT. It would make the appearance even more impressive. So we look at this first case, you see very nicely the J-shaped configuration of the celiac axis. Compare the celiac to the SMA. You can see the median ocular ligament. You can see this is not due to narrowing due to atherosclerotic disease. And if you look at it, here's another set of images, same area. That little step off there, again, it can confuse you. It could simulate tumor encasement potentially. It could simulate atherosclerosis, but it's the median ocular ligament, that soft tissue density pushing down. And what happens is, if you look in 3D, what happens with blood flow? Well, what happens with blood flow is you have flow through the the uh, GDA, the gastroduodenal artery. So you see these prominent vessels around the pancreatic head. So again, what happens is, because of that narrowing, to get more blood to the hepatic artery, through the SMA, through the GDA, to hepatic artery. Very nice example. And here's another case. And here's a case where it looks like there's some atherosclerotic change. And in fact, there is some, but that's in the SMA. But then you look above, look at that narrowing of the celiac. That's not stenosis due to plaque, that's the median ocular ligament syndrome with postenotic dilatation, and here's how it looks with the, the 3D mapping in grayscale, and here's how it looks with that collateral flow through the GDA in color. So again, very nice visualizations in that regard. And I think sometimes I've seen mistakes, nodes being read near the pancreas or a pancreatic mass being read on a non-contrast CT, where it's really median ocular ligament syndrome with these prominent vessels. And these prominent vessels easily, you can just imagine how they can confuse you and look basically just like um, sort of a soft tissue mass as part of the pancreas. And here's one more example. Sometimes with median ocular ligament syndrome, it almost looks like the proximal celiac axis is indeed occluded. So something to be aware of. It's a specific entity. It's a specific diagnosis. Now, we all also talk about atherosclerotic disease of the mesenteric vessels, and just like the aorta, it's not uncommon to see in older patients. You see calcified plaque and non-calcified plaque. Most of the time, there's a minimal narrowing of the vessel present, but not a critical narrowing. And here's a couple more examples of that. Other cases, of course, we can go anywhere between significant narrowing, minimal narrowing, and occlusion. This case also makes the point that if you want to look at the SMA or even the celiac, 
the vessel is an oblique angle, so looking at axial images, it's hard to put things together. You need to see the vessel in its entirety. So if you look at this case, there's something in the SMA. Is the SMA occluded? Is it narrowed? Is it clothed? What's going on? Well, when you look a little bit further down, again, it looks like there's some clot and this partial occlusion of the SMA. And when you look at it from a sagittal perspective, you get a much better feel of the non-calcified plaque that is present, the significant luminal narrowing, and you could also see it then becomes normal, and then it becomes occluded. So what we're able to do, of course, is from these other off-plane axes, it's particularly sagittal, and here 3D volume rendered images get a very nice perspective of the multiple areas of narrowing in the patient's SMA. And here it is again with a couple more volume rendered views. So you can see the importance, A, of the 3D mapping, and B, of looking at that sagittal view. Now, another thing to look at on this sagittal view is the size of the celiac and the SMA. These vessels are markedly narrowed. They're really tiny. It's like threads of vessels. And we see that the sequela typically is ischemic bowel. You can see this with low flow states. You can see this in shock. You can see this, see this in hypovolemia. But look at the size of the vessels. Look how small they are. They're incredibly tiny. Just a very nice visualization. And of course, uh, you'd be looking on both the arterial and venous sides, looking for changes in perfusion. In that patient, the bowel was edematous. You can see the dilated wall of bowel. You can see the prominent vasorecta. So in this case, the vessel is patent, but there's decreased flow, and that will cause ischemic changes as well. Now, one other thing to make notice of is when you're looking for ischemia, look at the bowel as well. In this case, you can see in 3D or 2D, the bowel is just not enhancing very well. There's lack of enhancement. Maybe you gave a bad injection, but look how good the uh, SFAs are in that patient. And here's a sagittal view. You can see what's happened. The proximal celiac is normal. Proximal SMA is normal. But look at the occlusion as you get past two or three centimeters of the SMA. The vessel is definitely occluded, and you can see that patient went to surgery, bowel was resected, and here's the patient uh, 10 days later, but now you have good flow through the SMA. So again, that sagittal view is outstanding in that regard. Or this next patient, clot in the SMA, thickened small bowel, ischemic changes, patient went to surgery. This patient was much luckier, the thrombus was acute, the thrombus was removed, and the bowel came back, looked pink, without having to do any surgery. Now, if you take the extreme, and the last case did show you an example about occlusion. So SMA or celiac occlusion, here's just a good example. Look at the proximal SMA. You can see it's occluded. Again, this is a volume rendered view, interior projection, and that shows much better on the sagittal views. So sagittal views are ideal for occlusion. You can follow the vessel to its origin really distinguish between MALS, SMA syndrome, stenosis, occlusion. Um, again, it's a little bit harder on this perspective. Though, of course, rotating the images around, which you're supposed to be doing interactive rendering, makes this indeed pretty easy to see nicely. And here it is again. The volume rendering works very well. You can see the soft tissue thrombus. If you use MIP, you would see the lack of enhancement. So I think both techniques would probably work fairly well in this regard. And here's just another set of images. Now, sometimes we send patients where we're looking for occlusion, other times we detect it. So this patient had an abdominal aortic aneurysm and an occlusion of the proximal SMA. And it's important to recognize that that alone does not mean ischemic bowel. 
patients can have good collateral flow through the celiac or good collateral flow through the uh, IMA. So the pathways of collaterals indeed become very critical in these patients. And so just seeing uh, one abnormality is not enough. You need to see the entire picture to understand the story. So an example, very nice case of celiac stenosis, and you can see that in a few different perspectives. Here it is with MIP, and here it is with volume rendering. But a very nice, significant stenosis of, S of the uh, celiac. Look at the SMA, how nicely it is defined, and it's normal. Just great visualizations. You rotate the images around again. You see the GDA coming off the stenotic celiac. But again, the stenosis in this case was very short segment. You also see this patient has a dilated uh, IMA in this case, and that IMA forms the, uh, the arc, which then communicates with the branches off the SMA. So again, one of the things the body does over time is develop collaterals. So as long as you don't have multiple vessel involvement, or you give the body enough time to develop collaterals, as in this example, you can get very good results. So this celiac stenosis is not going to be as detrimental as that acute clot in the SMA because the patient does have very nice collateral vessels. CT angiography, particularly after bone removal, as in this case, is very good at showing you all of the vessels and volume rendering really gives you a 3D perspective. Now a celiac, I'll just show you this case, classic example of stenosis, that's not median ocular ligament syndrome, uh, there's nothing else. It's just straightforward stenosis, okay, no problem. Now, I should also mention mesenteric arteries, that aneurysms are indeed not uncommon. Several articles recently that we've put together, although splanchnic artery aneurysms are relatively rare, they're being diagnosed with increased frequency with CT and 3D imaging, and it's important that they be diagnosed accurately because they carry a high morbidity and mortality even in asymptomatic patients. Now, in terms of frequency, under 0.2% in autopsy series, Splenic arteries are most common by a significant margin, 3 to 1 over hepatic arteries, though we are seeing more hepatic arteries. Most of the incidental ones we see are indeed splenic artery aneurysms. Rupture is associated with high morbidity and mortality. Splenic artery aneurysms under tusanomies rarely have issues. Hepatic arteries over about 1.5 can be problematic. And here's just a very nice chart showing you the frequency of the various splenic artery aneurysms. Now let's look at some examples. Axial CT, sometimes, if you're careful, you can recognize it. Here's celiac artery aneurysm. You should see it. There's also a small dissection present in the vessel. And you can follow the vessel outward. But there's no doubt when you want to see the extent of the aneurysm, it's surely easier to define on the 3D map. You can see where the celiac artery aneurysm is, where the branch vessels come off what its relationship is, and what would need to be done in terms of embolization or surgery. Again, nice example of that in 3D from above. Another case, celiac artery aneurysm, uh, not as large as the prior case, but again, sagittal view, volume rendering nicely shows you the aneurysm. It almost, in part, looks like median awkward ligament syndrome, but that's not the case here. You can see examples like this of hepatic artery aneurysms. Now, on the image on your left, you recognize non-contrast CT. Boy, that looks like a mass, could be nodes. It's hepatic artery aneurysms. So one point I do make and I do want to emphasize is that it's very easy to miss an aneurysm if you don't give IV contrast material. 
and it's very easy to make a critical misdiagnosis. So IV contrast, particularly arterial phase, is going to show you, as in this case, this hepatic artery aneurysm. Now, hepatic artery aneurysms, about 20% of all of these splanchnic artery aneurysms, they're more frequent in men than women, and that rupture rate is up to about 30%. They can be very tiny. Here's under a sonometer hepatic artery aneurysm. And we're picking up these incidentally because we have better resolution scanners. But look at this case. What's that structure near the hilum of the liver? In fact, there are two structures when you look at it. Image on your right, the bright one on arterial phase imaging is actually the hepatic artery. The other structure is the portal vein. Well, guess what? What you have here is, when you look in 3D, is hepatic artery aneurysm. You should be able to appreciate it on the axial if you followed all the scans sequentially, which I didn't give you. But you can see, boy, it's sure a lot easier to recognize on that 3D image. No ifs, ands, buts, or maybes. Another case, post-trauma. You can see the laceration. There's the aneurysm, or probably better defined, the pseudoaneurysm. Right down to the level of the laceration. Again, CT angiography, you're not going to appreciate this in the axial images. 3D mapping is critical. Sometimes these, these aneurysms are large. They can simulate pancreatic pseudocysts. Here's a great example. Look at that large lesion. Most of it's calcified. Most of it's thrombosed. But it's a large patent hepatic artery aneurysm. Very easy to mistake this for a pseudocyst on non-contrast CT. Um, again, can be a real problem. So you need to make the right diagnosis. What else? Well, splenic artery aneurysms are something we all routinely see. They're more common in women, particularly women who've had multiple pregnancies. Um, although it's more common in women, uh, it's more common to rupture in men. And risk of rupture increases with portal hypertension, pregnancy, and after liver transplantation. Most splenic artery aneurysms we see are associated with atherosclerotic disease, though there are other causes present. And... Um, the cirrhosis is a very good possibility. Splenic artery pseudoaneurysms are also not uncommon. They're mostly associated with pancreatitis, though there are other causes. Usually it's patients with repeated episodes of pancreatitis who develop these pseudoaneurysms. Classically, abdominal pain, melanoma, hematemesis. Pseudoaneurysms are critical because they rupture commonly with a high mortality. And here's just a nice example of a splenic artery aneurysm. So again, we see routinely splenic artery aneurysms all the time, and they can simulate adrenal lesions, and here's a small one. They often are partially calcified, occasionally are totally calcified. They can be several millimeters in size or multiple centimeters in size. Again, it's important to recognize them. Sometimes it involves the area by the splenic hilum, other times it does not. Here's just a good example, splenic artery aneurysm seen mid-splenic artery over 2CM. This will be embolized. What the surgeon would like to see, what the interventional radiologist would like to see is the course of the vessel and the relationship to the aneurysm. So you can plan whether it's surgery or it's coiling. And here's just one more set of images. Splenic artery aneurysms commonly, particularly larger ones, calcify, at least in part, though not all of them will calcify. So you don't need to see calcification. Uh, sometimes on non-contrast CT, splenic artery aneurysms can be confused with pancreatic tumors. So you want to be very careful. This patient was a physician who was exercising and collapsed. Took him to the hospital, resuscitated him, couldn't figure out what was wrong. Scanned his abdomen, they saw blood, could not find a reason. This happened a second time. They told him, don't worry, it can't happen three times. He worried, he drove to Hopkins, we did a repeat scan. 
You can see blood posterior to the pancreas. You see the pseudoaneurysm. This was eventually embolized, but it's a great example of a pseudoaneurysm. Um, now, why did he have it? He supposedly had no history of pancreatitis, no history of much of anything, but in this case, I wonder it was from uh, the exercise. He was a very, very heavy weight lifter. He lifted a lot of weights. Here's another example, uh, pseudoaneurysm, marked inflammation of the pancreas, just beautiful visualization of the patient's uh, uh, splenic artery and the aneurysms, and here's just a few films showing that. Uh, I should comment, what about the SMA? SMA aneurysms aren't as common, though. This is the granddaddy of all aneurysms. This is a patient with Lois Dietz syndrome. They get aneurysms in multiple vessels, including the mesenteric vessels and the uh, coronary vessels and the upper and lower extremities, but just a beautiful example. Now, I should also mention something else we see are dissections. Now, most of the time you see a dissection of the SMA or celiac in association with an abdominal dissection, and the flap travels into it. But we've seen a number of patients with just postprandial pain, as in this case, focal celiac artery dissection. Same set of patient, different set of images. Very nice definition of that dissection. Or this case, another example of SMA dissection, several centimeters from its origin. A very unusual case, this patient could have infarcted the entire bowel, was presenting with abdominal pain. So something to be aware of, though not very common. The more common presentation is this one, where you see the dissection in the abdominal aorta, which came down from the thoracic aorta, it was a type B, extending into the SMA. The last thing I'll comment on is many of these aneurysms, or these dissections are repaired with stents. And so stents are something we're evaluating, be it in the coronary, in the thoracic aorta, abdominal aorta, or in the mesenteric vessels. And what you're looking for using a combination of axial and typically not the volume rendering and not the MIP or curve planar reconstruction, you got to see directly down the lumen of that vessel. And you can see very nicely here, particularly in the sagittal views, that the vessel indeed is patent and here it is on MIP imaging. So a very nice view of the patient's stent in the proximal celiac axis. Now another case. Here's a stent in the SMA. Is it patent? Well, you surely can't tell a non-contrast CT. But in the contrast CT, you can see what's happening. You can see that uh, the stents in the celiac as well as the SMA. But if I ask the question again, is it patent? Well, you can say the vessel post-stent is patent. But at the stent, you really can't tell that on 3D. That's why you need to go to multiplanar reconstruction. You can see very nicely along a curved planar reconstruction, we can see the vessel patency. Just very nice visualization. There's maybe minimal thrombus in the stent proper, but the stent is indeed patent. So just a very good example. And you compare it to this case. Here's a stent, some soft tissue thickening around it. This stent has been in there for a while. And then when we give the patient IV contrast material, you can see the difference. You can see the thrombus in the distal aspect of the stent. So the stent is patent proximally, but after a couple centimeters is thrombosed, which you can see very nicely on that example. So um, again, you want to be looking at the stent, partial thrombosis, narrowing, all sorts of possibilities. Curved plantar reconstruction is ideal in that scenario. So hopefully what I've done in these two talks is really give you the idea about how you need to look at the CT scans, how the mesenteric vasculature is very critical, how it can simulate disease, and how it's part of disease. And whether it's looking at the SMA or celiac or SMA syndrome or medial ligament syndrome or anomalies, 
uh, comprehensive CT evaluation using real-time 3D imaging is critical. I think we've shown that if you only do axial images, it's just not enough. Volumes are the answer. And with that, I wish you a great day.